Hello, and welcome to the American Osteopathic College, our physical medicine and rehabilitation podcast. I'm your host, student Dr. Tosman Chowdhury. Today, we are joined by a special guest, Dr. Eric Wazowski. Dr. Wazowski was actually a big part of the inspiration for creating this podcast. Dr. Wazowski is the program director of MedStar NRH PM&R residency training program and the director of cancer rehabilitation. Dr. Wazowski is also the program director for the Cancer Rehab Fellowship at MedStar and is an associate professor of rehabilitation medicine at Georgetown University School of Medicine. Thank you for joining us, Dr. Wazowski. Hey, thanks, T. It's a pleasure to be here with you, and we're uh, enjoying having you uh, working at our hospital with us uh, right now. Thanks. I appreciate that. So let's find out the man behind the mask. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. Uh, so I guess I originally hail from Buffalo, New York, uh, still a pretty diehard uh, Bills fan, uh, which brings a lot of heartbreak with it, typically, uh, and spent you know most of my early life in New York. I went to college at a small uh, school called Union College in Schenectady, New York, and went to med school down the street at uh, Albany Medical College uh, before I joined the Navy, uh, where I did my uh, intern year after med school at the uh, military hospital in Bethesda, Maryland that used to be called the Naval Hospital. Now it's called Walter Reed. Uh, and after that, I uh, went down to Pensacola, Florida and did some specialized training in aviation medicine uh, to become what's called a flight surgeon, which is basically a doctor uh, that takes care of aviators. Um, and the Navy sent me to Southern California to uh, work as a flight surgeon uh, taking care of air crew uh, down in beautiful California. And uh, I got to pay back all my uh, military time then. And, you know, I knew the whole time that I wanted to uh, go back to PM&R residency. So I got out of the Navy and was able to do my residency in New York at uh, New York Presbyterian Hospital, the Columbia and Cornell program, uh, where I got my interest in cancer rehab, uh, and was recruited here to uh, MedStar National Rehab and Georgetown program uh, to build the cancer rehab program here. And I guess you could say the rest is history. That's awesome. That is uh, quite the impressive resume. Thank you. I appreciate it. Uh, what led you to the field of preliminary? You know, I was very lucky. You know, when I went into medical school, I can't say that I had a very uh, specific path in mind. Uh, in our first year of medical school, we were lucky enough to have a physiatrist part of our uh, first year lecture series, uh, an amazing physiatrist by the name of Andrew Dubin at Albany Medical College, uh, gave us a core lecture in the first year on gait, and uh, he was demonstrating normal gait patterns, abnormal gait patterns. It was very entertaining, uh, but also practical and informative, and you know, compared to so much of first year of medical school with you know, physiology and pathology and biochemistry. This was so practical and so tangible and, uh, you know, just made me feel like uh, I could take this information and I could observe my patients walk um, and I could help them, you know, based on this knowledge. It really lit a fire in me. Uh, and, you know, after uh, attending this lecture, I kind of looked at the syllabus to find out more about the speaker. It said he was a physiatrist, which, of course, I had never heard of and uh, started to do some more research into the field, um, do some more shadowing uh, with Dr. Dubin. Um, and, you know, it was kind of love at first sight. Uh, you could say it was, you know, kind of PM&R or nothing at that point. 
That's awesome. I feel like a lot of people I've spoken to at a lot of the conferences uh, basically say that function is what brought them into this specialty. Would you agree? Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's a, it's a really diverse field, and, and that's the beauty of it. And, you know, that's what I often kind of sell to medical students is I think there's a lot of things that can bring you into PM&R. You know, I hear some students say, you know, I love musculoskeletal medicine, but I didn't want to be an orthopedist in the OR. Uh, I've heard some people say, you know, it's their passion for taking care of people with disabilities. Uh, I've heard some people say that, uh, you know, like you said, the focus on function that, you know, in the end, our outcomes that we're searching for are truly patient-centered and not necessarily lab or imaging-centered. Uh, you know, I think all those things are, are big draws to our great specialty. Awesome. And uh, what motivated you to become a program director? You know, to be honest, I feel like since I was in medical school, I uh, really passionately felt like I was on a path towards a career in medical education. Uh, frankly, I think a lot of that was stemming from some dissatisfaction that I had with some of my training. Um, and, you know, I think as a medical student, I just felt um, like I had kind of a lack of guidance. You know, I was just looking for more support. Uh, a more positive work environment, um, and you know, as I guess as I was struggling with my own training process, I was really saying to myself, I would just love to have the opportunity to make the process of training in healthcare better for people, you know, coming after me. Um, so it was definitely, you know, very much on my radar. Um, and you know, when I came here to uh, Metro National Rehab Hospital. Uh, there was, you know, definitely an opportunity to, you know, learn more about program leadership and, you know, get very involved in education here. Uh, the prior residency program director here, Dr. Whitehair, really kind of took me under his wing, uh, named me the associate program director, you know, got me very involved with uh, medical student education here as well, and, you know, really was able to open a lot of doors for me. Um, and, uh, you know, it's been exciting to be able to, uh, you know, take that motivation that I've had since medical school and, you know, put it to uh, good good use here. That's awesome. And I can definitely attest to the fact that uh, your residents here are some of the happiest and liveliest residents I've come across. We have some lively ones. I, I, I will <laughs> definitely agree with you on that. <laughs> so when you were looking around and trying to figure out the best place for you to go to, why did you decide to settle down at Georgetown? Sure. You know, kind of all the pieces fell into place. Uh, I was, you know, interested in uh, developing a career in cancer rehabilitation. Uh, I was lucky in that uh, actually my chief resident um, from when I was a junior resident in New York uh, had come here to work as faculty, um, and I knew he was very, very happy here. Um, he actually started recruiting me um, to come here to help build the cancer rehab program. Uh, and, you know, I heard nothing but great things from him about the work environment here. Uh, and, you know, once I was actually able to come and interview, I could really see that this is just a very positive place to work. You know, people are happy to be here. Uh, you know, it's a freestanding rehab hospital. So the, you know, the the vibe around the building is, you know, all rehab all the time. And, you know, I think that kind of creates a very uplifting, positive work environment, uh, working around really, you know, kind of happy, motivated people. Uh, and, you know, the other, you know, big aspect uh, that's made me happy during my time here is 
you know, I've just found the administration and leadership really supportive of career development um, and, you know, have really kind of helped me along the way to, you know, steer my career uh, in the way that I've wanted to. So, you know, I think all the things that I thought I saw uh, when I came to visit for an interview in terms of the work environment and the supportive structure uh, have really been true and, you know, have kept me here now for uh, eight years. So, you know, I'm very happy to still be here. So I'm sure one part of being a program director is kind of uh, looking forward to the future and seeing what the future of the program is. Uh, what visions do you have for MedStar in the short and long run? Sure, yeah. So I've been program director now here for a little over a year. And, uh, you know, I, I think what I'm seeing is there's sort of phases of change, if you will. And, you know, I think anytime you have any leadership change, a new leader is going to be sort of flooded with all their new ideas of, uh, you know, things they want to do. Uh, to kind of build a program in their own vision. Um, and, you know, we've had kind of a, a lot of changes since I've started in terms of our rotation curriculum and things like that. Um, and now that some of those things are out of the way, I feel like it's more of a slow trickle of smaller changes, uh, you know, in the short term, you know, really working on uh, trying to change our didactic curriculum to, you know, less of a traditional uh, podium PowerPoint presentation-based curriculum and more following, you know, what we're seeing more in the medical education literature of uh, interactive teaching, small groups, uh, case-based learning, uh, flip classrooms, hands-on workshops, things like that, um, while also, you know, supplementing those things with, uh, you know, other more traditional learning methods uh, self-study, you know, to make sure that our residents are still learning all the minutiae, all the facts that they need to know, um, but also having kind of a more, you know, dynamic learning environment uh, that the evidence seems to show really helps residents retain information uh, more. So, you know, I would say that's one of the, the bigger short-term changes. Uh, the other is uh, really just trying to improve on our evaluation system because, uh, you know, I'm very passionate about feedback and you know, really believe that for all of us that, you know, feedback is kind of our pathway to continually improving and, you know, being the best that we can be um, and trying to put more systems in place for our residents to get better feedback and more frequent feedback. Um, and, and, you know, in the long run, you know, I think, uh, you know, in a role like this, you know, I have lofty aspirations and, uh, you know, I'm passionate about our program here. You know, I really believe that, uh, with the resources we have within our system, the patient population here in a you know major metropolitan area like DC, uh, and the faculty that we have, you know, there's no reason why our program shouldn't be, you know, regarded as one of the highest tier residency programs in the country. And uh, you know, that's a driving force for me for you know us to be right there at the top. That's awesome. Um, and I definitely can attest to the fact that it's pretty cool that we have lectures Tuesday through Friday um, from the students and from the residents. Uh, the whole concept of see one, do one, teach one. There's a lot of seeing and there's a lot of teaching that goes on here, so I can attest to that. Beautiful. Um, as far as being a program director, I understand the fact there must be some rewarding parts and some really tough parts. What would you say you like the most about being a program director, and what are the toughest parts of the job? Yeah, great question. Um, you know, in terms of what I like most, 
you know, I think what gets me the most excited about my work is just seeing uh, a resident from their infancy, if you will, you know, starting training or even, you know, before that, if we got to know them as a medical student and, you know, see them grow into really successful clinicians, academicians, et cetera, uh, and just uh, following them along that path and mentoring them. And, you know, I, I'm very passionate about, you know, helping people find where they're supposed to be in this world, if you will. Um, and, you know, I really try to get at what people's passions are um, and trying to fo- try to foster those, you know, as best as our program can to, uh, you know, help people really get to where they want to be. Um, you know, I just love seeing people grow and, uh, you know, I love doing procedures myself, and, uh, you know, if there's one thing I can think of that's more satisfying than doing uh, a really successful procedure myself, it's seeing my resident or my fellow do that procedure is one of the most satisfying things to see them accomplish that and grow in their skills. Um, so I just love that mentorship aspect. Um, in terms of the challenges, I mean, there are definitely many. It's not an easy job, um, but I think the one that comes to mind is just uh, – balancing your stakeholders and you know as a program director you really are between your residents your faculty and administration and you really do have to find ways to keep all of those parties happy or as happy as you can Uh, and you know certainly I want my residents to be happy so um, they feel good about being in this place and feel good about you know getting their jobs done um, and, you know, don't want, don't want to have a mutiny around here with unhappy residents. Uh, you know, we need to keep our faculty happy, happy because that's really the uh, motor, you know, behind a residency program. You know, the faculty are the ones who are teaching your residents day in and day out. So we have to keep that balance and keep them happy. And then administration, you know, there's always administrative needs uh, at the highest level in the hospital. And, you know, residents are a big part of, you know, keeping hospitals running Um, So we have to, you know, keep administration happy. You know, at the end of the day, they're the ones who are signing our paychecks, so we can't make them too grumpy. Um, So, you know, I think balancing all those three can be challenging. You know, oftentimes these groups may have different, um, different, you know, competing needs and desires, so balancing those can be tough. That does not sound like an easy job. (laughs) So there's a lot of talk recently about how PM&R is becoming a more competitive specialty. What things can make a medical student's application stand out? Sure. So this is a question that, you know, I always struggle with because, you know, there really isn't a perfect answer. And, you know, oftentimes what I will tell students, because, you know, you'll hear so much conflicting information. And, you know, what I'll tell people is, Everything you hear is 100% right or it's 100% wrong. Uh, And, you know, really it depends on who your audience is, essentially. You know, so when you're thinking about your application, uh, you know, applying to residency is a big black box. And every program is going to have different criteria that they look at when they're screening applications. Um, And that's why, you know, you may apply to you know, some programs that in your mind are of similar caliber, some of them will invite you for an interview and some of them won't, and you're going to be scratching your head. You know, how does this make any sense? You know, these are similar programs. You know, why does one like me and one doesn't? Uh, it's because you have no idea, you know, what, are the, what the things are that they prioritize. Um, so because of that, you know, there really isn't one magic way, you know, to, uh, 
you know, put yourself, um, you know, above the rest, if you will. Um, so, you know, I mean, your, your grades are sort of done. They are what they are. You know, there's not much you can do about that at this point. Um, certainly you want to excel as much as you can on all of your rotations, you know, I think is a really critical factor because, you know, programs want to see, uh, you know, students that are sort of excelling across the board and, you know, not selective about their effort that, you know, they're putting just as much effort into their, uh, you know, PEDS rotation as they are into their PM&R rotation. You know, just showing that consistency is really, really important. You know, and then beyond that, you know, I just often tell people, you know, maximize what you can maximize uh, or what you're most passionate about. And, you know, oftentimes students are thinking about, you know, extracurricular activities. And, you know, I often break them down into, you know, specific categories. So you might get yourself involved with scholarly activity like, you know, research, publication, presentations, uh, those kind of things. Uh, you might get yourself involved in leadership opportunities. And you might get yourself involved in more community engagement, community service activities. And all of those are great. And, you know, there may be some programs where, you know, research trumps all. There might be some where, you know, community engagement is really important and that's the most important thing to do. Um, so, you know, there, there's different ways you can approach it. You can have a, a sprinkling approach where you're, you know, trying to do some things in all of these categories to have sort of a, a nice, well-rounded application. You know, or, you know, if you have a real passion for something, you know, just digging your heels in that, you know, one or two things that's, you know, really the most important thing to you. You know, if leadership is the most important thing and you want to put all your eggs into that basket of a leadership role that you're really passionate about and you do it well and you can really speak to it very strongly and passionately, you know, that, that may really go a long way. Um, and, you know, you also don't want to be doing things necessarily that you don't believe in as much because, uh, you know, sometimes when you do get interviewed and people ask you about it, that will kind of come through that you've been sort of working on something that, you know, doesn't really fit with who you are. Um, and those things that you're most passionate about are the things that are going to really, really shine through when you're interviewed. So, um, you know, I think it is important to get involved with some extracurricular activities, um, you know, in those categories because, you know, programs do want to see that you're going to be a resident who goes the extra mile. You know, we don't necessarily want the person who's just going to sort of coast through the residency and do the bare minimum. We like to see people who, you know, make a lot of efforts in other areas. Um, but like I said, I don't think it necessarily has to be, you know, one specific thing. You know, just, again, just try your best in, in, in what you're able to and what you're passionate about. So it sounds like what you're saying is be passionate about things you're passionate about and you will end up in the place where you're supposed to be. Well, that's a philosophical way to put it. Uh, and it's, it's actually something I, I really do believe in. And, you know, you'll see that a lot in, you know, some of the self-help literature and, you know, books and whatnot, um, that if you're really living your life uh, in accordance with your values and what you most believe in, your chances of success are much higher because, um, you know, it makes sense. You're going to be really good at the stuff that you care about and probably less good at the stuff that, you know, doesn't mean as much to you. So I, I very much believe in what you just said. Um, so you have a special interest in physician and resident burnout. So what do you believe is the core issue of burnout? 
Right. So, well, there's no one core issue. Um, you know, it has to be looked at from a multifaceted standpoint. Um, and it's interesting, you know, you will see some, you know, polarizing uh, things out there on this issue. Like, for example, you know, I'm going to guess that some of your podcast listeners also know who Z-Dog MD is. He's pretty famous. Um, so he has this uh, very entertaining video that he made about physician burnout where he jokes that, you know, hospitals will tell their physicians to go to a yoga class or light some incense to, you know, deal with their burnout when really the issue is systems, problems with systems, and that, you know, if we don't fix the systems problems, there will be no fix to burnout. So I both agree and disagree with ZDog MD on that particular issue. He is absolutely correct. There are tons and tons and tons of problems with hospital systems um, that contribute to um, physician burnout, and I've certainly felt that myself. And you know, tons of things that need to be fixed. And, you know, oftentimes people point to the electronic health record, and I would agree that that, uh, you know, can certainly be a source of burnout. Um, but, you know, the bottom line is that systems issues will always be there, you know. So, you know, we, we have to fix them. We have to go after each one systematically. Um, but, you know, imagine a perfect world where, you know, some brilliant person has designed, you know, the most perfect electronic health record in the world that's so smooth, it's so easy to use, and, you know, it's making our lives easier and, and wonderful. Um, so let's just say that happens. That's great. Well, there's going to be another system issue that's going to come up. You know, there's always going to be challenges. So while, yes, we do have to attack these system issues, we also do need to empower our physicians to know how to care for ourselves in the best way possible um, because that's going to help us, you know, kind of face these issues that we're going to be facing for the rest of their career. Um, and, you know, for me, it was this is a timely question because I actually uh, was very lucky enough that Georgetown University uh, allowed me to go to uh, a three-day retreat on uh, mind-body medicine uh, just about two weeks ago. Um, and it really opened my eyes to, you know, learning a lot of these tools of self-care, self-regulation, and how it can help me um, deal with the stressors in front of me. And, you know, many of the stressors may be system issues that do need to be fixed, um, but I also need to play my part. I need to learn how to regulate myself and how to deal with the challenges that, you know, aren't necessarily going away. Um, so right now I am feeling very passionate about um, not just the systems issues, but um, helping our docs, you know, find better ways to care for ourselves so, you know, we can at least uh, deal with that part of the equation in burnout. I'm sure that the tips you brought back with you, you will pass on to your residents. Yeah, we're going to be doing a session here uh, tomorrow about mind-body medicine um, for the residents and faculty are invited as well. And, uh, you know, if you're available, hopefully you can attend as well. Absolutely. So what do you like to do in your spare time? Yeah, so and historically, uh, my wife and I are very into the arts. Uh, you know, I used to do theater back in the day, and I play some guitar and some piano, and I like to sing. And my wife is a sort of quasi-professional mu musician um, from time to time. Uh, so we like going to shows and 
playing music. Uh, we actually um, play music at uh, the place we go for religious services on Sundays, uh, which is fun. Um, I often say to people, you know, when I update my CV, you know, I still keep my hobbies and interests section at the bottom. And I realized once I became a parent uh, that I should put as my number one hobby and interest is parenting uh, because doing things that revolve around my daughter uh, is probably the biggest aspect of my non-work life, uh, sort of following her around to be her roadie, cheerleader, transportation service, et cetera. Um, so that, uh, that's quite, quite a big hobby and, and one that uh, I'm grateful to have and uh, I really enjoy a lot. So one of the other speakers in the podcast said uh, it's important to have a relationship with medicine, not of medicine. You definitely sound like someone who has a balance between uh, having the relationship with medicine and not of medicine. Yeah, it, it's a tricky one. I mean, for me as a program director, um, the job is one, at least for me, I'll, I'll speak just for myself, uh, as one that it, it does kind of infiltrate all aspects of your life. Um, you know, you do kind of sort of need to be on all the time if you're going to be a residency program director because, you know, you're responsible for residents who are providing hospital-based care 24, uh, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. So if an issue comes up with a resident, you know, at you know any time of the day or weekend or whatever, it can become my issue. Um, so, you know, I, my, my work and uh, non-work life oftentimes blur together and, you know, I'm frequently in touch with my residents, you know, during kind of off work hours about, you know, a variety of things. Um, but that's okay for me. I mean, I enjoy it because, uh, you know, I love interacting with my residents and, uh, you know, they're a big part of my life. Um, so I don't necessarily mind that. But, you know, I think for each person, you know, you have to find the right balance for you and you know I do try to you know shut down my email like as much as I can on weekends so I can sort of walk away a little bit you know you definitely do have to um, you know give your give your mind a little bit of a break to refresh but you know everybody's definition of balance is going to be different but you know you do have to find the right one for you. What was your favorite moment as a physiatrist? It's a hard question um, and, you know, I knew you were going to ask me that. And, you know, part of me thinks about certain teaching moments because, you know, teaching mentorship education is something I'm so passionate about. And, you know, some of it makes me think about uh, clinical moments with the patients I've been lucky enough to treat. Um, but I, I think one that popped into my mind, maybe just because I just saw this patient the other day, uh, is and it's a good physiatry story in a way. Um, there was a, a patient of mine uh that came to see me. She was a longtime breast cancer survivor uh, with a few years of uh, kind of arm pain and weakness. And she lives kind of in the middle of nowhere. She was going to, you know, a small ortho practice uh, in a remote area. And they had actually done, I think, three carpal tunnel release surgeries for her with no benefit. And then, you know, she went to see her oncologist who was Discussing this with her, the oncologist recommended she come came and see me. Um, and after assessing her, I was able to diagnose her with uh, a radiation-induced injury to her brachial plexus. Uh, and she was able to get successful treatment for that um, that really kind of rid her of these years of 
uh, neuropathic pain. Um, and, you know, I think it's just a good example of, uh, you know, what we do in PM&R in, uh, you know, really doing, you know, the full assessment of a patient, not having tunnel vision on, you know, one condition, and also being able to kind of bridge the medical um, with the uh, rehabilitation aspect. And, you know, that's why we as physiatrists do, you know, an intern year, um, you know, to really kind of hone that, you know, medicine knowledge. Uh, and I think that's really one of the most rewarding, you know, fun things about being a physiatrist. I feel like uh, there's no aspect of medicine that we're naive to. You know, we oftentimes our patients will tell us that, you know, we're just really able to kind of bridge all those gaps and, you know, not be so siloed in one particular area in our minds. And I think that's just a really, really fun part of the job. That's incredible. Well, thank you for joining us, Dr. Brzezowski. My pleasure. I'm honored to be uh, a part of this. And, uh, you know, I hope your audience find this helpful and, you know, happy to help in any way in the future. Thank you to all of our listeners for tuning in. This is your host, student Dr. Tassin Chowdhury. You have just listened to an episode of the American Osteopathic College of Physical Medicine and Rehabilitation Podcast. Take care and have a great day.